Welcome to Gross Anatomy. So we're live? We're live. We're live with Gross Anatomy. So what I started to say is that this, I really went through all the stages of like grief and, and mourning um, because I, I did something which people say not to do, but I was kind of trying to look and see at our podcast and how they're doing. And I came across one of the sites that posts our podcast and I saw reviews and I was like, holy crap, this is depressing. And then I read the reviews and it's even more depressing, which kind of takes us in a little bit to the topic of today, which is social media in general, social media and medicine. But I, I kind of wanted to talk about how, like to some degree, I, we got some negative reviews and one stars and 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 some kind of nasty-ish feedback or input about me. Oh, you call yourself a doctor, blah, blah, blah. And on the one hand, for my first reaction was I got angry. But then on the other hand, I really do think that um, I kind of went back and I thought about stuff. And it's kind of educational to me a little bit. And I think if we... It is. And I mean, I'm just as upset as you because uh, I work hard on this show. And I think you're great, obviously. That's Thank part you. of the reason why I do this show. And I always learn so much just from doing this show. But I did learn just looking at like all podcasters like say this is just a problem that they encounter. They get negative reviews and they feel the same way. And supposedly for every like bad review there are 26 people liking your review but not writing about it. It's just like with anything else. Like right. negativity like overflows po- positive re- yeah. feedback. But it, you know it's funny. So I was listening to a po- I think Tim Ferriss who, who I'm a fan of who right. does the four hour work week. He gets bad reviews too. Right. And he does and he's very successful and he's very am- popular. Yeah, he's amazing. And he has a podcast but you could actually watch it too now. He, I, I don't know. He does yeah YouTube. He does live streaming. Right. And one of the things that he did, I don't know if it was I was listening to a podcast or watching him do a, a thing, was he took a break and took a sip of water. And I liked that. I thought it was cute and funny. So I stole it from him in our things. And interestingly, one of our negative comments was, I hate it when they take a <laughs> drink of water. Maybe they got sick of it on his podcast. Or maybe. Something. Or maybe they don't listen to it. But yeah. I, I mean, I thought that was kind of... One of the things I like about doing this podcast with you, and and as much as the editing is super important, is I like the spontaneity, and I like the conversational aspect, and I like the fact that even though I'm the doctor, I like you know wearing the hat of a normal guy who knows some stuff. And by no means do I ever claim to know everything. I'm like one of those guys who knows a little bit about a lot of stuff. Um, and but I but I did learn that. A, we need to do better editing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's on me. No, no, it's it's both of us. B, I think when when we go over a show, because the whole purpose of Gross Anatomy is to go over the sight, smells, sounds of medicine and how it relates to pop culture, movie, TV, and you know, and one of the things was to kind of debunk myths and talk about different things. So one of the things is. If I don't know something, we should go back and get the answer before we go live so we could either amend it or add to it or, or stick it in somewhere. Um, right. A lot of this is just like an exploration. Like that's what we say. We explore the sight sounds. Right. We don't always have the answers. We're just having a conversation where we explore what, what information we have found. Right. But maybe one of the things we could do better is really try to have the answers. Right. And at least... While one of the one of the uh, um, commenters, commenters, commentators, 
one of the reviewers who who was very negative uh, um, said that wow it sounds like Dr. Cohen doesn't even know what he's talking about and we re-listened to it and uh, and it clearly I mean you and I know that I know what I'm talking about but the way we conversationalized it it sounds like maybe I, I didn't and so maybe I just need to be a little more polished and, and I think although I do like the lack of polish so um, but I do you know as much as I hate the haters I think the haters do give some good criticisms, and I think it's worth us worth it for us to try to be better, which I think everybody right. should try to do. No, I agree. We will get better from the feedback. But there are just, I mean, today we're going to be talking about social media and medicine. So right. So just in general, like there's, my favorite person in the world is Russell Westbrook. He's a famous basketball player. And I saw his Instagram feed, and he would post like family pics, like nice family pics with like, you know, thinking there's nothing you can criticize about this. Right. But people will be like, oh, man, your brother's fat. And, like, just just ridicule him wow. and his family. Wow. And so some people are just full of right. mean things that they want out in the world for some reason. Well, part of it, I think, is at the end of the day, everybody's got crap. You know, mm-hmm. the, the one of the problems with social media is, actually, just the other day, a marketer said to me, wow, you and your wife have this amazing life. I see all your stuff that you're doing and the, the, what what everybody forgets is that what we're posting on social media is only the no one posts the crap you know because no although that would be a fun and interesting thing to post <laughs> but who really wants to show someone their crap right. but everybody's got crap we're trying to make ourselves feel better and feel good by enjoying and showing, reveling yeah. in the good stuff and showing ourselves in a certain light that right. we edit right but everything's a challenge and and one of the reasons why we're doing this is we both find it fun. We mm-hmm. both love entertainment. We both love movies, TV, media, and all that stuff. And we both, and I am very much uh, deep in the medical profession, as you have been having done medical marketing and things. And we just found that it would be a fun way to marry the two. And it's just something fun that we decided to do um, in all of our spare time. Right. Right. So we will respond to any criticism and. Take the feedback and try to get better. I would love it if you could, you know, send us a, a, a text or, um, or an email and right. say, hey, Dr. Cohen, um, good try, but I'd love to see X, Y, Z. I mean, that would be great. And mm-hmm. and um, and if you really wanted to be bold, give us your name and, and come on the show. You know, yeah. uh, that would be really fun, I think. Right. Um, because that's that's what this is for. Right. Engaging. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? So speaking of social media, there's a new show, Chasing the Cure, which is on TBS and TNT, I believe, and it comes on Thursday. So the first one just aired last week, and we both watched it. And it's a show designed so you can connect live, like via Facebook page and their dedicated website, ChasingTheCureLive.com. And users can submit their cases in a moderated community. It's very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm really interesting. I'm trying to think of a word for it. I, I think the, the, the theory of the show, the, the concept of the show is awesome. I, I really do think the concept is awesome. Interestingly, anecdotally, a zillion years ago when I fin- first finished my fellowship, I don't know if you knew, or maybe you did know this, maybe I did tell you this story. I was in the running to be in a TV show very similar to this show. Did I ever tell you that? No. 
Um, maybe. Yeah, and it wasn't on purpose. I get this random email and call saying, we're casting for a medical TV show. Would you be interested in coming to meet the producers? Um, and it, the studio was Renegade, Renegade 83 or something like that. that that's what it's like. And they had done stuff. They were like real, we, we could look up what they've done, um, real stuff. Okay. And um, so they they had us go into the studio and and several rounds of castings. You know, I, I went through at least two or three, and then I made it to the and the name of the show was called The Miracle Workers, and it was a similar premise. It was difficult cases and having these doctors kind of um, spirit guide these people through these challenging situations. It was really very similar, mm-hmm. and I made it down to the final callback thing. I had to sign this ridiculous contract even before I was cast and and commitment and all that um, and for me it was just like this fun experience I didn't think I was going to get it uh, but maybe that's just my defenses going up but I made it to the final callback with the other docs who wound up getting it it was it was the two guys and me mm-hmm. and they got it and the show failed but, you know the but they had thought about this years ago they thought about this years ago and it was a very similar kind of show but done differently that it was more like the doctors going into the field with mm-hmm. these teams and getting access it, you know it had a couple of episodes and and that was that um so this show interestingly now now that we're doing our podcast kind of reminds me a little bit of the show so i think the premise has always been there i think the premise is really cool mm-hmm. about just connecting the world right. with diseases. And I think they try to be like house a little bit, but right. like a live version of house right. where people are just on social media giving their feedback. So basically what they ha- they have like I don't know how they find these patients if they find them on social media or how they already have them. Right. But these people with undiagnosed or misdiagnosed or uncured medical mysteries are on the show. I think they had about 5 Yeah, 4 or 5 four or, or six. Five people yeah. like the first episode and then so they have a panel of doctors trying to like work together and take theories from like Facebook or debunk people's like suggestions and find some kind of cure or some kind of diagnosis right and and a treatment plan and everything there was one patient I guess you can call her a patient a woman who had um, she had weight gain and she had all of these symptoms and the doctors have never sent her to an OBGYN. She never... That was crazy to me. I'm like, is it a failure of, like, the, your health insurance? Like, why have you not... So I have the same thought. So I, what I thought the show really should try to spin and pivot about is, unfortunately, how broken, to some degree, our healthcare system is. And maybe the show could help because it seemed like all of those patients just didn't have proper access to care. It seems like had they all had real access to health care, all of, all of them would not have been misdiagnosed because none of the diagnoses seemed very crazy. Right. This girl uh, had polycystic ovaries. Which is a fairly common right. thing. And so she was gaining weight. She had to go to the bathroom all the time. So it seems like some doctors should than- have said, like her... Regular physician should have been like, well, why don't you go see an OBGYN? Right. And that never happened. Right. But not only that, it's, it's also multifactorial. And I think, uh, you know, she had more than just polycystic ovary. She also has some irritable bowel type yeah. of, and there's a little bit of anxiety in there. Um, and it could be really debilitating. It's real diseases. And I, and I would have liked, it, it also, I think, focused maybe too much on the 
um, here's your solution and now you're better. Like the, yeah. the patient with the, um, the Barrett's esophagus mm-hmm. who, who developed the abdominal distension. Yes, and all of a sudden they found Barrett's esophagus, which has nothing to do with his abdominal bloating. The two, I mean, maybe there's some interrelation, but the Barrett's esophagus was just this incidental finding on this guy. And, and I, so I, and I think the same thing. I think it showed that healthcare in this country, people aren't seeing the right people or we don't have enough advocates. Like, yeah, that's my I, immediate thought was like, do people's like, like health insurance just not pr- allow them to go see specialists because a lot of... Right. Like, I, I almost think this TV show should become healthcare for America. Like, it, that should be healthcare. You, you plug in your thing, and, and that's how healthcare should be almost. Like, that would be really cool. You plug in your thing, you send pictures, and the, this algorithm, and maybe some doctors say, go to Dr. So-and-so, he'll take care of that. Right. One thing I think is they tried to wrap up each patient a little too neatly. Like, mm-hmm. I, I would have liked to have, like, each, each patient you know, had other, it, it almost seemed like they focused only on what was easy to to figure out, but not necessarily big picture. Like, I, I hope they have follow-up with the patients. They must have, yeah, I'm sure they're going to do episode follow-up. Right, and must. I wonder if it's better to, rather than five cases, have one or two cases, which is more of what this Miracle Worker show was, I think. But, but maybe that failed. Maybe they saw that as a model. Yeah, it didn't seem like too much was going on. The other thing is what, what I found funny was um, I really liked the one doctor who would give those little commercial um, things about the, what did he say? The, the one who's, who went to the pedicurist, the manicurist, who said, um, are you taking fish oil? Because he had bad breath. Oh, yeah. I like that doctor. He <laughs> yeah. was the most... And I liked his little fun fact things. I, mm-hmm. I thought he was kind of, of all the docs, I, I really thought he was the most engaging yeah. and the most um, the most real. Um, I liked him too. Uh, it yeah. was called the, uh, the Not So Urgent Care segment. Right. Yeah. And so people just write in with their questions that are easier. Like, right. why? But do I don't you, watch the doctors. Like, do you watch the doctors? Uh, doctor, what, what's that? A talk show that's on in the middle of the day no. the doctors uh-uh. right I've never seen that right I don't watch that I think that's I think they that's a little bit I think what the doctor the show the doctors is I'm not totally sure oh okay. um, but what's uh, things that I found interesting A the gynecologist that they had on uh, um is a doctor who I've worked with, who's oh, an amazing. I was wondering a lot of them yes, from LA. They're all LA, of course. The so she she's a, actually our office before this had her been her previous office, and uh, and then the other funny thing is the medical host guy, Dr. James Pickney. Mm-hmm. He was a resident at under me uh, years and years and years ago. I think he initially was doing yes. surgery. Really good guy. I mean, I he remember looked, the guy. He looked young, and he had, he clearly had an earpiece. Like he was doing really well. I feel like a lot of information was going into his ear, and yeah. he was trying to be as polished as possible. Right. He was. He's he a has cool dude. Job on the show for yeah. Sure. He's a cool dude. But and and I knew the guy, and he was he was he's a solid guy. So it was kind of fun to watch these people I know do yeah, do the I wonder, show. I have no idea how they did the casting, but. It's definitely interesting. I mean, I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac, so it made me a little uneasy the whole oh. show. I just felt mm-hmm. bad for everyone the entire time. Yeah. But the point is, like, hopefully hopefully something good will come out of it. I yeah. Know. And and there were definitely some cute moments in it. I, I'm not sure 
where they're going to go. And um, but I I think it I, I think it has potential. It's it's probably not something with all the amazing TV out there that I would necessarily choose to watch. Didn't it remind you when they show the doctors in the boardroom, they have, like, the board up? It's just the exact set of house. Right, right, yeah, no, and and that's a goal. Yeah, and more and more hospitals, I I mean, there are some centers that have these centers for undiagnosed cases, and there are more and more centers popping up with those kind of places so that they could treat patients, because there are a lot of patients without diagnoses. Oddly enough... All of those cases, except for one or two of them, had diagnoses that either were already established and they just said, oh, yeah, you have what we already talked about. That was one patient. And um, and like you said, the patient with polycystic ovary, that's not a hard – none of them were like these tough and hard decisions. So I'm curious to see – where they're going to pivot with this with this show in terms of finding the cure. And, right. and, and they have a um, new competition. Apparently, on Friday, a show on Netflix called Diagnosis is coming out, and it seems very similar. The series follows Dr. Lisa Sanders, who's a physician at Yale, um, as she attempts to help patients with unique illnesses and searches for diagnosis. And that's on and Netflix. Cure. Yeah. I thought the trailer was awesome. Yeah, and it Like, the trailer totally the, engaged me. Yeah, the trailer is great, and it says... And in the trailer, at the very beginning, it states, what if social media could save lives? Right. And that's where I think... So for all the bad things I think about social media, I'm like, well, maybe maybe she's right. Right, right. And it was interesting, though, to hear the outpouring of people, you know, writing in their di- Dr. Google, you know, their mm-hmm. diagnosing and their thoughts. It'd be interesting to hear um, the haters. I-, yeah. I would love to hear the haters and the negativity uh, um, just just for like a research experiment. Like what what are people saying? I hope they listen to it just like, you know, we're going to try to listen mm-hmm. to our haters and see what we could do um, with it. But Yeah, but I mean, and also I found it interesting in the trailer. I don't know if this is true because I couldn't fact check it, but I'm, I guess it's true if it's in this trailer. Netflix probably has their legal team on it. But it says right now there are literally millions of people struggling with undiagnosed medical conditions. Yeah. It seems so high. I didn't, I mean... No, I, th- I, I think it it's exists, believable. But it's well, there's a lot. Of, what the problem is is a lot of these diagnoses or ailments that the people have, they're not like a sexy diagnosis of oh, you have this worm parasite. It's like a const- constellation of stuff that is contributing to someone not feeling well and not doing well, and they they have real illness. They are really ill. They're really mm-hmm. sick, um, but. Th- there may not even be a name for what's going on for them or maybe like a group of things that's going on and even chronic pain you know we see that so much and these patients are just in chronic pain my mother-in-law has this pain in her foot that is not getting better and Mm -hmm. she's seen a podiatrist she's seen an orthopedic surgeon and darn if I know what's going on with her who knows you know between all the stuff that we have in us on us around us you just don't know yeah, but I guess this, the point of the show Diagnosis on Netflix is that people, the people that are on the show want to know if someone else is struggling with their symptoms so they can take to social media for any answer they can get because right. they're just looking for anybody that understands because they're right. in this horrible pain usually. Yeah. I, well, I, yeah, and one thing I think that's good about social media is people, it, people find people and connect to people. Um, and... They don't feel so isolated and alone. I think that's really wonderful. 
So we got a question. Is Instagram changing the way plastic surgery is performed? Doctors have pages where they live stream surgery. Patients are bringing in wish pics of women from Instagram. Yes, Instagram is, so social media is changing the way um, plastic surgery and all surgery is performed, I think, to a big, to a big degree. I, my wife, who does, uh, cos- who's a cosmetic injector, the master injector, who is a master and is amazing, Bernice, um, she has patients bring in sometimes uh, models or people that they want to look like a little mm-hmm. bit. And when she's doing their filler or their Botox or whatever it is they're doing, she's trying to replicate certain jaw angles and this and that, which is amazing, which is mm-hmm. insane. Uh, you know, just like when you go get a haircut, you bring in, you know, someone's hair that you like. Right. So, so that's definitely being done. So I guess they're saying like, in the plastic surgery arena, you do see more before and after pictures. Is that For sure. Why? Is that because patients have to? No, plastic surgeons. So plastic surgeons, for the most part, it's a cosmetic. Most of the time, it's a cosmetic field and it's a business. I feel like if I did that, I wouldn't want my before and after picture. I want it to be private, but I feel like everyone that does the plastic surgery, they always have like before and after. Right, because that's how they market themselves. Mm-hmm. That A plastic surgeon needs to, that's how they show how amazing and wonderful they are. They show their befores and they show their yeah, afters. I guess patients are a lot nicer than, plastic surgery patients are a lot nicer than I would be about it. Right, well, they're excited. Only the ones who have great outcomes are going to show their <laughs> pictures. True. The ones who have crappy outcomes aren't. They're going to be on Yelp and Love complaining what an awful plastic That's surgeon that point. was. But um, I don't know that it's... Has it changed the way that we do surgery, I guess, is the question. A little bit. I, I think it's changed the way... Well, it's changed all of surgery. Like, e- even my thyroid and parathyroid surgery, our goal is to do as minimally invasive an approach as possible. So plastic surgeons as well... My thyroid, parathyroid surgery, you know, most of the time, the incision's in the neck, which is a very visible place. In the olden days, I remember when I trained, the patient would have an incision, you know, from one side of the neck to the other side of the neck, and that was the normal way you did it. And it was much easier and and faster surgery because you had this big, giant, open wound, and you weren't struggling. These days, I'll do a surgery through like a two and a half centimeter incision, an inch, an inch long incision to take someone's thyroid out or, or even less than, uh, sometimes I'll do a centimeter, a centimeter and a half incision to remove someone's parathyroid gland. Um, and we'll use scopes, we'll hide the incision. I'm gonna be struggling way more, but I've done this long, you know, many, 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 many times mm-hmm. um, that I know how to do it. So for sure, Instagram and 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 social media is chain. We're pushing the envelope on what we could do in terms of decreasing scarring, uh, better cosmetics, better outcome. We used to do mastectomies for breast cancer, um, and we, in addition to removing the breast tissue. The, the entire skin of the breast would be removed. The nipple, the areola, obviously, mm-hmm. would be, but all the skin. Back in the day when mastectomies first started coming out for breast cancer, they even removed the, pector, the pec muscle, the pectoralis major muscle, and women were majorly deformed. And then over the course of time, we realized more and more with different therapies and surgeries and studies that we don't need to be as deforming when we do breast cancer surgery, so much so that now we'll do mastectomies even for cancer, where we, when indicated, not always, but when indicated, we will preserve a woman's nipple and areola. So removing all the breast tissue, but all the skin, including the nipple and areola, stay. And we have our plastic surgeon help and recreate and recreate the breast through whatever plastic surgical means, and there are several. Um, 
and we'll try to do it. In the olden days, we did these big, giant incisions. Now we try to do it through cute, littler, smaller, better hidden incisions because at the end of the day, people are more savvy. And why shouldn't people demand better cosmetic outcome? Is it harder on the surgeons, on the both the plastic surgeons and the cancer surgeons? For sure. It's definitely harder. It's more challenging. It's more training. Um, and because of social media, we're, we're pushing what we can do. Does yeah. that answer the question? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's a challenge, but it's fun, too. With that. And with that, uh, thank you for listening and joining us at Gross Anatomy Podcast. Thanks for going to our Instagram page. Thanks for going to our Facebook page. Thanks, guys. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine.